0: Welcome to Bob Got a Microphone, the podcast that exists because I, Bob Tarantino, bought a microphone. There are a lot of interesting people out there, and these are some of their stories. In this episode, I'm speaking with Anthony Rutgazer. He's a pro wrestler, comic book writer, podcaster, DJ, amongst many other talents. In his words, he's done a lot of cool, dumb things in his life. This is his story. All right. Anthony Rutgazer. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thanks for joining well, Bob. The fun. <laughs> this is your, your most NPR voice ever, Bob. This
0: is all, this is the only thing I bring to the table is, is the microphone and the voice.
1: Oh, I decided that I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with the first review I see on Google and I'm gonna buy a blue Yeti.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's a hundred percent what happened. Well, actually I, I should, um, so there's a, a lawyer who I was, I, I know, a guy named Brent Arnold. And uh, so very early on in the pandemic, once everything sort of got locked down and people were doing Zoom and stuff, I was on a conference call with him or something, and he had the Blue Yeti. And I, it was like, I was floored. Like, I was like, I've that's incredible. And so like, I was like the sheeple that sort of like went to Amazon, clicked on the the button, got my Blue Yeti. I was just so happy with it. And then it sort of sat there for a year, just staring at me oh. saying, saying like, when are you going to use me? And here we are. And here we are. Here We are. So y- you're yeah. so prolific in, in a lot of ways that I, I oh. sort of struggled to figure out how to start this, but I, I think maybe an appropriate kind of entry point is, is your Twitter bio. So <laughs> when I look at your Twitter bio, it's comic book writer, uh-huh. almost retired pro wrestler, yeah. Lego builder, nerd. Yeah. So is that sort of in chronological order or like order of importance? Like how how do I, what uh, where do I fit all those different aspects of the
1: things that you do? Uh, that's in order of uh, what I think might be making me money at some point. Cogbook writer is, is what I'm uh, trying to pivot to full time. Wrestling is always going to be there because wrestling is wrestling is like the mafia uh nobody nobody gets out
0: once you're in you can't leave oh
1: no you're, you're you're in it for you're in it for life whether you think so or not lego is just the thing i do that um you know keeps me from committing other crimes and uh, nerd is just a state of being i like yeah. it and so
0: almost retired pro wrestler though like is that is retirement oh, something well, you're, Bob, you're striving for, or is, like, no, are they, not a, are they I,
1: imposing I, it on you? Is... No, nobody can impose anything on you in professional wrestling. No, it's just the fact that I'm I'm 50 and poorly maintained. So there's only so many matches left in me. Wrestlers, we, we refer to it as a bump card. And there's only so many more bumps I'm going to take before I just say, yeah, you know what, I'll just... Uh, i'll just write the shows i'll just promote i don't need to i don't need to be in there ever again let let somebody younger and faster do this but yeah there's still i've still got a few still got a few matches left in me i think
0: right on i remember i think i saw you once at the mod
1: club Um... uh yeah 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 uh which is now the axis club right it's just reopening yeah right uh but yeah i i did a i did a handful of shows at the mod club it was uh that's a good venue. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the spot. new place is gonna be like. So mm-hmm.
0: and so, I mean, in terms of pro wrestling, you when I look at your bio, like you've played a lot of different roles in there, right? Like you you've been yeah. in the ring, you've you run the union of independent pro wrestlers. It's yeah. uh, so you've you've done a lot. Like, how did that
1: I have done everything in professional wrestling, literally everything in professional wrestling, except I've never refed a match in front of a crowd. I've never had a steel cage match myself. Hmm. And uh, and that's it. Yeah, those are the only two things of any interest <laughs> that I have not done in professional wrestling.
0: Okay, and so we'll have to talk in a little while about your list of 101 things in a thousand and one days. Okay, and I want to see if either of those are on that list. But so did did professional wrestling... So you and I are sort of roughly the same age. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you. Um, yeah, rub it in, in Bob. Yeah. <laughs> so Fucking to guy. me, wrestling <laughs> and comic books were sort of, uh, they came into my life sort of around the same time. Right? Yeah, mine as kid. well. Yours as mine well. Mine as well. Okay. Yeah. And so what were, but at what point, so, I mean, it goes without saying, at no point was I ever under any sort of illusion that I was going to get into
1: a ring. Um, mm-hmm. Because
0: I'm just not capable of it. So at what point did it become a
1: reality for you that, you know, that was something you were going to do? Oh, wow. I don't know if it was ever not a reality. Uh, once I got interested in wrestling, it was something I wanted to do. So I did it. I, it remained a desire long enough for me to actually do it. And it didn't take all that long after I got into uh, interested in wrestling. For me to do it, I think I I probably started watching wrestling when I was thirteen, and um, by seventeen, you know, uh, just just before yeah, probably probably just before my eighteenth birthday, I ring announced my first show. Hmm. So, yeah. And then, when did you actually get into the ring as a wrestler? I was already in the ring at that point, working out, trying to learn, and uh, but I it, it, my first actual real match in front of any kind of crowd would have been well really I mean I had a match when I was 16 no 17 March of March of 89 I want to say and uh and then uh ring announced for a while and got out of wrestling for a couple of years and in 95 came back to it and in uh, spring of 95 is when I um, took to it in earnest and like decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do for a while.
0: So that's yeah. an interesting time in kind of the history of wrestling, right? Because 95 is sort of, so it's after the WWF has had its big kind of eighties run with, yeah. you know, Hogan and Macho Man. It, it's kind there. It, I mean, maybe I'm overstating this, but, my recollection is like WWF has kind of on a, had a downturn through the early to mid nineties in terms of popularity. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there's a rise at that point of, you know, like ECW and other independent promotions, which Mm -hmm. when you kind of graph it onto the nineties, like, Oh yeah. Like this sort of notion of like alternatives kind of comes through in rock music Mm -hmm. and in, in hip hop and, and in wrestling, like there was much more attention paid to those, indie promotions and there there sort of seemed to be this revitalization of, of wrestling so what was it like to kind of, and, and it seemed like that was a time where doors were opening like people could get you didn't have to be six yeah. foot seven and you know 320 pounds and on you know on a lot of steroids um so what was it like being there in that kind of sweet spot at that age
1: well i started uh i started working in the states at the beginning of 96 first in in uh detroit and then Ohio and then Pennsylvania in ninety, towards the end of ninety six, beginning of ninety seven, it was great. I mean, uh, Detroit was Detroit was was uh, was hot. We were working uh, we were working there a couple three times, couple three shows a month, and you know name, you know, it was still a time where names could come in if they were depending on their contracts uh, with bigger promotions, they could still work indie shows so every once and then there were guys that were just rotating in and out of of bigger promotions that were that were coming in and working shows so you were getting to you're getting to meet people and see people and there was there was work if you if you connected with the right people you know you could you could work you could you could wrestle for me the height of things was probably I was doing well in 96 and 97 And then probably 99 was like the real height of 99, 2000 was the real height of things for me where, you know, I was working two or three times a week and I was doing New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Ohio. I made, (laughs) I had made a trip to Kansas one time for live TV and it was, it was great. A lot of good people. A lot of people that I'm still friends with today, all these years later. And because uh, nobody ever really gets out. <laughs> so it, it was fantastic seeing a lot of friends make their way to the big show and, and getting to go places and have fun and, you know, be a, be a degenerate in my late 20s. And, <laughs> and it was it was good. Okay.
0: that's great and so I mean look we're on the cusp you know we're, we're sort of chatting in, in July of 2021 we're on the cusp of live events coming back I mean yeah. rest, wrestling for the last year for 15 months or so has been like a, watching it has been a really weird experience um, so I imagine you must be really looking forward to to actual live events like do you still attend shows
1: as a fan or yes and no I will uh, when if the WWE sets up in town for a weekend, uh, I you know for a pay per view or something, I will usually end up going to the Saturday night, which always ends up being NXT. You know, I've got a friend, I, I've got I've got friends on the roster who will you know shoot me some tickets, and I'll take a friend and we'll go down there. And we'll watch the show, and I end up sitting there watching the production. All around more than I'm watching Mm -hmm. the the actual event, but um, and then I'll occasionally go to uh, local shows that I'm not booked on to see people or hang out. I don't do a lot of that, but it it happens. Just you know, sometimes it's Saturday and hey, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, I'll come see the show and hang out and see people. But now a little less of that a little less of that but still happens a Bit.
0: and so in terms of that product that's being offered now like do you have a preference i mean so you mentioned ring of honor you mentioned nxt so for for listeners who uh, don't know like those are nxt is maybe the developmental sort yeah, of it's, is, is it's, that it's, the right I mean, way of describing it it,
1: it the it, it started solely as a developmental league and then it's evolved into its own television products so it is uh, it is akin to a, I always think of it as baseball in baseball terms. It's akin to a triple a franchise. Yeah. So NXT that I, I enjoy that product. It's booked differently than raw or SmackDown, but the only real television product that I am watching regularly these days is AEW just because it's new and it's a new roster. And I have, I have different friends that are on that roster. I like to see, I'm just a little I have I've I've grown I've grown a little tired of uh, what the WWE is doing. I love I love my friends, but you know, listen, if I have friends who act, if they're in a if they're in a crappy movie, I can't pro- still a crappy I can't, movie. <laughs> I can't promise to watch it just because you're in it. Right. You know. So <laughs> quality must be maintained.
0: Right. And so, I mean, I think this has also applicability to your career as a comic book writer, which we'll get to in a bit, but mm-hmm. given your involvement as a professional wrestler and, and the, the different roles that you've played, are you able to just enjoy wrestling as a- as an Sure. Oh, member? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. New Japan, I haven't been watching as much New Japan the last year, uh, but New Japan, especially- is great for me for um, suspending my disbelief and getting into the show as a spectator, as opposed to, you know, like a critic. Yeah. As opposed to tearing it apart.
0: <laughs> and so to me, there, there's sort of, there's a lot of parallels between wrestling fandom and comic book fandom, right? Like they're, oh, they're sure they're both not insular communities, but they're communities that kind of reward having a a sort of deep historical knowledge of like the art form Um, and there's lots to learn, right? Like you can, you can dive really deep into wrestling. You can dive really deep into comic books Mm -hmm. as a, as a comic book writer does, or in what ways does, you know, your performance as a wrestler or your, your knowledge of wrestling inform your writing? Very
1: much for fight scenes. Okay. (laughs) I have, (laughs) I have uh, I have scripted some fight scenes, and there is one in particular in the second volume of uh, my comic, The First Hero, that before I uh, before the pages with the with the fight itself, I explained before the fight scene itself, I went into a short uh, diatribe. About how a wrestling match is put together so that I could better explain uh what I was talking about with my artist, Danny Zabal. And I, you know, I laid it out for him so that I laid that out that framework out for him so that in the fight itself he would understand why what was happening was happening the way it was happening. There we go. uh uh, but yeah i um it, it informs it informs uh in big and small ways that being a big way in in the way i wrote you know uh write some particular scenes but in small ways in that there have been a handful of wrestlers who have made it into my comic book as uh comic books as various characters a large One of the uh, major set pieces in the first volume of The First Hero was ECW Arena in Philadelphia. The character ended up being based in Philadelphia solely because, almost solely because, I had a scene in mind where an out-of-control, super-powered kid literally blows the roof off the arena. And And I thought, okay, and there's the overpass right behind it and I know Swanson and Rittner and the streets. And I pictured the scene from from the kid losing control of his powers, to the building being blown up with people in it, to the cops arriving, to how the villains would escape. Because I knew that neighborhood and I wanted it to be in an American city. So Philadelphia, and that ended up informing, once I decided on Philadelphia, a lot of other dominoes in the storytelling and the world building fell into place. So, yeah,
0: I love it. So now I'm going to not to put you on the spot, but mm. I, I have those comic books. I, you just saw me uh, hold yeah. up the trade paperback. Um, yeah. One of the things that you mention in sort of the back pages of that issue mm-hmm. is the story, what well, you, you allude to a story which you never actually tell. And so I'm going to see if I can get you yeah, to love, tell love, it now.
1: I love I love doing that.
0: All right. So this <laughs> this is the porn the porn industry connection. Okay. So do you remember saying is, is that a story you're able to tell now?
1: Oh yeah yeah. Uh, I was yeah. I, so hit us I hit us
0: with the the oh it's there it's, used to be a rock
1: and wrestling connection. I want to know the well, porn and wrestling connection. <laughs> the reason I first worked in ECW arena was after the death of ECW was for a company called extreme pro wrestling XPW uh, run by a uh, run by, I don't want to say his name anymore run by a guy who ran a, a porn company in Los Angeles. And the company was based in Los Angeles, but uh, aiming for national, expansion they hired uh shane douglas and one of my mentors cody michaels to help run the company and almost the first thing they did was start running in philadelphia at ecw arena and i became the east coast uh ring announcer because i i say east coast because we we never made it back to la under my tenure i think i think fellow by the name of ron head h-e-d who was their original ring announcer. I think he did the, the LA reunions, but I digress. So the company, the porn company, was funding the wrestling company. And at one point, the owner of, uh, of these two companies went on a national news program in the, in the United States and challenged the then Attorney General, John Ashcroft, to come after him for on, obs- on obscenity laws obscenity charges which they did and they won and he went to prison Jesus what the hell were they making <laughs> <laughs> they're making some wild wild stuff they were pushing they were they were the leading edge of what was called gonzo porn uh, we're not going to act we're not even going to pretend there's a script we're just going to go hog wild so so yeah yeah the the United States government went after the clown and sent him to prison just to be clear (laughs) yeah but let's not uh, let's not give him that much credit okay (laughs) he's to this day he's a he's a wackadoo Mm. so uh, and and it looks like he might bring the company back and I wouldn't uh, I would tell people you stay stay away from XPW at this point, at this point, if it's just this guy on his own, stay away. But um, yeah, that was you know that was, <laughs> that was uh, that was who I was working for. They were they were funded by a porn company, man. What are you gonna do? Everybody's got to make a living. Everybody's yeah. got to make a living. Make a living however you want. Exactly. You know, don't be a no crazy bast- Don't be a crazy bastard while you do it. Is all
0: <laughs> don't get thrown in jail for obscenity.
1: Don't, Uh, (laughs) don't, don't challenge. You know, I fought the law and the law one is basically should be his entrance music.
0: There's a moral right in the song title. Like you, everything you need to know about the song is right in the title.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So
0: You, you talked before a little bit about constructing wrestling matches Mm -hmm. and and i think just for for people who don't know just to transition over to the the world of comic books that's how i met you i met you uh in ty templeton's uh comic book course uh yeah comic book boot camp yeah comic book boot camp at the comic book embassy um and so i remember you know it was a small i I don't know how many people were in our class like i said they're 12 or 15 or something like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and i remember you know quite vividly because we used to sort of workshop stuff in the class and i remember quite vividly you being the guy that everybody was like oh yeah no he's gonna make it right like this is the guy who has got it figured out and you did right like you are a comic book writer i'm i'm people can't see this but i'm holding one of your trade paperbacks there's four volumes
1: of the first hero no three 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 volumes of the first hero okay there's a crossover called action verse that's, that comes in between volumes two and three. That, mm-hmm. might, that might be why you're thinking there's four. And there is uh, the first volume of Heroes of Homeroom C. But I have been uh, largely quiet on the scene since Homeroom C, which is like three years. Why and not? in the process, of, uh, in the process of, of doing Homeroom C, I decided this is right now my best shot. This is, this is the best bullet in my gun. I should be doing something more with this. So I started contacting friends in the business and saying, I need to advance. What do I do? Who do you know? What should I be doing? And a friend of mine named Jamar Nicholas introduced me to the woman who is now my agent. And we have had a, at first we were talking about um, Homeroom C and then somewhere along the line she introduced me to an editor from a book publisher. I was uh, I was at TCAF, like, Sorry, I, ta-
0: Toronto Comic Arts Festival for, yeah, for anybody who does not
1: yeah. is familiar with the scene. No, thank you. And he and I spoke and he said uh, he basically he said to her, does he have a wrestling story? If he's arrested, does he have a wrestling story? I said, yeah, hold my beer. I'll be right back. And I wrote something, and then we kind of decided it was a little too fantastical, and it was about a family of luchadors, family of Mexican wrestlers, and we we kind of decided that might end up being cultural appropriation. So I stripped it down and started again and came up with the book that I'm working on now, which has been rewritten and written and rewritten, I think it's like eight or nine times and honed and fine-tuned so there's been times there's been a few times where I've put it down and gone to another uh, something else in my life some other project and then come back and uh, the last few months I have needed to do an edit of a of an 8,000 word treatment down to a 1,500 to 2,000 word piece for a pitch proposal and I've just been I've just been blocked on it. I I've I've started it three or four times. Uh, I've hated it. I've hated what I've been writing. It's like just veered off course somehow. So I'm bringing I've 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 had to accept that uh you know sometimes it takes a village. So I'm bringing in an editor to we just shook hands on it to re- to write this shortened version of this for me so that I can just I can move forward. Uh and then I've got Uh, I've got a a comic book project I'm planning to draw myself um, that I'm, I'm having somebody come in. And another thing I shook hands on with somebody this week was have somebody come in and do layouts for me. I just need just, you know, he, he has more experience with laying out the page and that's what I need. Lay out the page. Draw me some stick figures, draw some quick lines for perspective. Uh, If I'm going to throw in backgrounds, uh, you know, wind me up, I'll go. I need, I need the jumping off point. And I, out of the blue, had an artist contact me saying, hey, are, are, are you looking for anybody? And I looked through his stuff and I thought, okay, I've got a half dozen first issue scripts sitting around doing nothing. Like I have to blow the dust off of some of them. And it's stuff that I've wanted to get to. So I'm going to talk to this kid uh, later tonight and uh, or tomorrow time difference if I get the f- make if I can make a deal with him, get the first few pages, I will uh, I'll announce the launch uh, the the countdown to the to a Kickstarter and uh, I want to in the next six to twelve months, I want to have first issues for at least three properties in print. And I want to have a deal for my graphic novel.
0: I know you mentioned that. I think your gateway drug into comics was, uh, uh the, the Wolverine limited series, Chris yeah. Claremont and Frank Miller. Yeah. So those are two, you know, for comic book fans, those are two sort of icons in the industry. One is a writer, one as an artist and writer. Who are the people that you're sort of, who inspire your work and you're sort of like, Oh yeah, I, w- I want to do that.
1: Wow. Uh, I mean, for me, that early Claremont stuff will always be a cornerstone for me and, and Miller and uh, John Byrne, probably um, who else? I mean, there are, I, I can think of artists that I I really love, but as far as, as writing and, and, and stuff that like to this day still catches me, Watchmen and Dark Knight, and, like 1986 is just the best year pivotal year (laughs) yeah uh and there are people who i mean you know none of none of this happens without the likes of stan lee and and jack kirby but yeah you know you always remember uh the stuff from when you first when something first caught your heart and for me that kind of stuff is is claremont writing x-men burn drawing x-men and then doing fantastic four and alpha flight mm-hmm. um, um miller doing daredevil and uh and dark knight returns yeah that's just uh, the you know batman year one miller and, and mazzicelli god i love that book that is that is actually one of my favorite books ever you're batman year one yeah it's probably yeah. top three for me yes. um so that yeah, that's the stuff that I like I would like to do something that I'd love to redefine a character the way that Miller redefined Batman, and people now talk about well oh, Batman doesn't use guns well t- Batman doesn't use guns because Frank Miller had him breaking a rifle in half, right you know that's why everybody thinks that's why everybody on the planet now thinks. Batman doesn't use guns and they get all up in the air when when they see him in a movie using guns. You know, because Frank Miller put that stamp on.
0: him. Right. So so Marvel or DC call you and they're like, "All right, we want you to we'll, we'll give you, you have your choice."
1: Alpha Flight. Really? That's it. Yeah. I my agent took me to uh, Marvel's offices in what was it? 2018. I had a small handful of pitches with me. Before being told, you know, we're not, we can't take pitches from. You. Like, I didn't even get to ask, can I pitch you something? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Al- Al- definitely Alpha Flight. I, I have a, I, I know what I want to do with Alpha
0: Flight. And so, for for listeners who don't know, Alpha Flight was created by John Byrne, who himself yeah. was Canadian, and Alpha Flight was a, a Canadian super te- superhero team that was. Robustly Canadian, right? Like it, at a time when Canadian content was not as widely sort of available, or like they were the first Canadian super team that I know published by Marvel Comics, like a spinoff from from X Men, which was like you know the most prominent, biggest selling title uh, up in the line. So I'm, I mean, is it is there something about their Canadianness that that sort of? Oh yeah, speaks yeah. To you, I mean,
1: that was. That was uh, a thing that very much spoke to me uh, when I was young and that book first came out. And I was like, okay, a Canadian super team. This is going to be awesome. A Canadian super team fighting crime in Canada. Does every supervillain have to live in the Bronx? Does all crime have to happen in Manhattan and Brooklyn? Right. Like, I mean, not even Staten Island. <laughs> all super crime in the Marvel Universe takes place in four of the five boroughs. So, um, you know, for the love of God, give me a break. Uh, (laughs) I love it. So, yeah, so I got very interested in Alpha Flight. And the fact that it's been done, sorry to whoever I am lambasting right now, it's been done so poorly over the past couple of decades that they can't maintain the book on a consistent basis. You know, is, is Jim Zubkovich the first Canadian writer to work on the book since Byrne? I know there's got to be at least one other, but I mean, you know, Byrne left, Bill Mantlo took over and whoever else is, has written it in, in ever since. And I know that, you know, the Marvel version of Canada was some kind of weird, secretive, fascist regime for a while. It's like, what the? They're constantly experimenting on people, right? Yeah, have you, <laughs> you ever like I mean, but the government was it was like we were in North Korea for a while. Right. Do you do you have you ever fucking been to Canada? <laughs> like, I mean, I it's not it's not always a garden party, but it's, it's not a it's not a Bundist party. <laughs> Puns. So <laughs> no, but it it just it pissed me off. And I thought I had a way to do it that would be cool and start something but i never even got a chance to pitch it so maybe day, someday man. yeah maybe someday
0: it'll happen your publishing imprint your your publishing company so first hero for example was was mm-hmm. published by um
1: 16, lab.
0: 16 hectares and a moose
1: well no that was just listen uh, i i had a i had a catchy studio name right studio right. studio of one the, the the first two volumes of the book were published by action lab Right. Out of uh, Pittsburgh. And then we did the action verse crossover with uh, me and Jamal Igle and Ray Anthony Height and Vito Del Sante, you know, on and on and on. We did we combined five books to create a superhero universe. So when the company said, who's going to be first out of the gate after the crossover, my hand shot up. I can be ready with volume three. We'll. we'll just, I'll just roll Marco out of uh, our issue of Action Verse and straight into Volume Three, which we did. I, I. I have. I have problems with. I have problems with some indie publishers, mm-hmm. and I'd rather for my comic books. I'd rather do it myself and and uh, kickstart them, and get get them into people's hands. If it's if it's only two or three hundred people, then it's still two or three hundred people that I've dealt with directly, right and done something to entertain them as opposed to breaking off, breaking off a, a, a big financial chunk or giving away the store to an indie publisher who puts in no effort and sells the same number of copies.
0: Right. You're getting more in your own pocket, more of the more of the revenue in your own pocket. If you're, if you're the publisher, right.
1: I'm getting revenue in my own pocket as opposed to none. Right. You know, and then, uh, I- and then, I mean, I've 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 had dealings with other companies who, uh, luckily, I didn't sign things with, so that I was able to walk away. Uh, who who make Action Lab look like Marvel, you know? I was eager to work for a Canadian company at one point, and then they just repeatedly shit the bed, including their publisher once drunkenly calling me a quote unquote fucking idiot on the phone because I wasn't signing his shitty shitty contract. Oh. A, co- a contract which came to me as cut and paste nonsense from other contracts that <laughs> I had to, yeah, I had to pay well, you know this because you mm-hmm. set me up with the dude that my that my lawyer <laughs> had to rewrite for me. And then in the meeting where we were supposed to sign the contract, they changed the numbers on me. They changed the numbers on me at the at the signing meeting, nice. and and then a few days later, uh, the publisher called me an f and idiot <laughs> on the phone because he was gassed. He was just gooned.
0: All right. So, what's grosser the the independent wrestling scene or independent comic publishers?
1: Independent wrestling. Oh, really? <laughs> that was a, you had that holster, then. <laughs> wrestling. Wrestling is wrestling is grosser because there are still people clinging on to the old school mentality of like the 40s and 50s and 60s uh you know drink all night handful of pills you know you got a concussion walk it off Mm. that kind of nonsense Mm. there's still they because it, it comes from professional wrestling comes from the carnival tradition it's a bunch of carnies in a lot of, in a lot of cases. So there's still people who are just like, I mean, mm, (laughs) just, (laughs) just, just fucking sweethearts. There you go. Well, see, you're
0: you're a glass half full kind of guy.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just, what's it half full of? Right. (laughs) So yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the end, in the end, um, You have to make decisions to protect yourself because if you won't protect you, who the hell will? Right. And you know, there's, there's some people, you know, I've been the guy myself who has meant well in dealing with somebody and still come out like holding an empty bag. Right. Right. If I have, if I have somebody, it almost sounds like a Ponzi scheme. If I have somebody above me promising, yeah, this is going to do well and make money. And I, somebody below me, I say, I'll break you off 40% or 50% or 60%. Well, 60% of nothing is nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when the, when the guy above me doesn't, when it does, when the money doesn't trickle down, I don't have anything. I didn't have anything to pay collaborators right. and I won't do it that way again. Mm-hmm. I'll never do, I'll never do it that way. And I, I, I getting out of, getting out of working with smaller publishers meant that that wouldn't happen anymore. That I had to, the same, the same, um, the same way I deal with wrestling shows uh, is, you know, have the money in, in the envelopes Mm -hmm. when the work is done so that I can pay a wrestler off and they can go, thanks kingdom. And, and, and the night is done. I want to, with my comic book stuff, I rely on Kickstarter, but I say we get a first couple of pages together so that we can put it on a Kickstarter and show people what it's going to look like. And, and then we, we fund it. Mm -hmm. But if I, if I know your rate and you do those first few sample pages, I can give you money for the sample pages. Right. Right. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we, you will make a deal where the Kickstarter pays for everything. And, you know, we, we put our efforts into that, how, whatever, I want to make sure people are, if they're working with me, people are getting paid. Right. Lessons learned. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, the, you have to, that has to be factored into the creative process. Right.
0: So let, you know, as we're, let's sort of round the corner here and and, um, talk about your current project, 101 things in a thousand and one days. Yeah. So, I, first of all, like how did this start? Cuz I love this. And for, uh, for give give listeners the, the you know, the URL that they can go to to, to yeah, see this unfold. Yeah, if it's
1: working, sometimes it doesn't work, which is weird and bothers me. Uh, 1001days.ca, 1001days.ca. If that if if that isn't working for you, you know, you can go to handsomegeniusclub.com. you can go to rutgazer.com. And, and it's in the menu there. So basically, it's a bucket list with a time limit, you write up a list of 101 things you want to do or experience or accomplish or bury in the desert, whatever, whatever tickles your fancy. Uh, and you have a 1001 days to, to do as many things on that list as possible. And, uh, I started it again on, uh, April 9th, which was my 50th birthday. And it's still, it's starting off a little slow because, you know, Shawshank, but a uh, thousand and one days. That's fine. What's yeah, that? Like well, two and a half, it's three two, years. It's, it's, it's two years, nine months. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, but I don't want time to slip away. So, right. uh, I have, uh, I have to add, uh, at least one more thing to the list right now. Cause I, I, did another t-shirt design for my patreon people. so that's on the list, five new t-shirts. Uh, i'll i'll smash that pretty quickly. but there's stuff on there's travel stuff on there, there's publishing stuff, there you know, there's creative stuff, there's personal stuff. uh you know, uh
0: is there something that you're most looking forward to on that list or 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 most dreading?
1: uh oh uh hold a man's heart while he dies. It to him. <laughs> that's it's a different list. Is that is that early list. in the list or late in the list? Like a we... list. <laughs> a, go full cartoon Bruce Lee on somebody. It, I don't know if there's anything I'm looking forward to more than anything else. There's just a bunch of stuff on that list that I want to do. So, yeah, so did, did whatever that... I accomplish on that list is, uh, is 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 a bonus for me.
0: And so it's interesting to me that you started it. I don't know if it was on your 50th birthday or, or sort of around the, that time, but on, on. Okay. So, so yeah. that, I mean, that's look, 50 is a good number, right? What, yeah. uh, what, what were you sort of contending with when,
1: when you rounded the corner on 50 there? Same things I'm contending with now, a couple of months later, uh, which are when, when society uh, gets back to 87% normal or whatever we're going to be able to achieve you know what is next do i continue doing for the next 10 15 20 years the shit i've been doing for the past 20 25 30 years you know do i do i settle do i do i stay settled into a mildly pleasing routine or do i actively strive for a new normal with new experiences and new sources of income and you know, do <laughs> I think everybody's goal in the end is to be able to say fuck off to anybody on the planet and not care and for a lot of people that takes money. You need you need fuck off money, right? For some people, it's 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 a part I, I, you know, I, I don't think he would, but I, I think the Pope could say fuck off to whoever he wanted my dream. To be able to say fuck off to the Pope. So- <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> well, not. I just, man, I just offended somebody so yeah. much, and I'm just joking. It's <laughs> just, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say f you to the Pope. So I like,
0: I like how you qualified <laughs> saying f you to the Pope as a joke, but ripping a man's heart out and showing it to him—that didn't get the joke qualifier. That wasn't. No. Like, no, I was just
1: joking about that. <laughs> no, because that's. Because that's obvious. I'm not going to punch <laughs> through somebody's chest and pull their beating heart out and show it to them before they die. I'm you not have goals. I'm right? not Storm Shadow. Uh, mm. It's that's that's not going to happen. Right. But but, <laughs>
0: but but telling the Pope to
1: fuck But up, I think people the, I right. think people might believe that if I ever had the chance to meet the Pope, right? I might tell him the fuck. I told Doug Ford in front of a crowd of people, that he was ruining Ontario and he was the biggest loser we'd ever had as Premier. <laughs> I, had, I shook his hand. I put my other hand on his shoulder so he couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> Turned to the crowd and said, this guy is just the absolute worst. Ruining Ontario for, for more and more people each and every day. Thanks, buddy. And then I I didn't even like like it was an action movie. I just walked away from the explosion in slow-mo laughing. You I didn't even turn back. I, I like didn't that. even turn. Oh no, too many skeletons. <laughs> so yeah, cursing out the Pope is right. It's within the realm of like playing poker. I mean, yeah, that's that's within your he he might bet uh, with those two cards, you know. Like I it's it's in my wheelhouse. But I won't. I promise I won't. <laughs> I love it. What's
0: What's next on? Or I mean, how do you approach that list? Like, do you like do you sort of know what's next? Or
1: uh, no, I you know I every once in a while I look at the list. I think uh, this is the this is one I could do right now, or this is one I could uh, start some planning on, mm. and and we kind of do it that way. So you know, uh, the province is. Now is reopening again, so there's going to be there's going to be a lot more opportunity to do things. Like, you know, uh, there's an item on the list: uh, learn to do or make five new things. So the first one I tried is I made pickles, and they're in my fridge right now. I'm I I, I opened one of the jars uh, two days early, which was like two days ago. Uh, I think tomorrow was uh, the, the due date for them. And I opened them and I tried them. And they're kind of soft, which is disappointing. Right. A soft pickle. So, Nobody likes a soft pickle. No, no. So it, so that's disappointing. But I learned how to make them. There I could go. do it again. I I will probably do better the second time. Uh, but that was a thing that I could, you know, make a quick trip to the supermarket and get what I needed and do it here. Right. To go skydiving is going to take. A little more. It, it's, it, it's not. It's not something I can say absolutely this day or time or tomorrow morning. That's got to be booked and paid for. And right. I got to sucker people into coming with me. So stuff that's going to take more planning and stuff that's going to take other businesses being open and ready to go. That That's the stuff I'm going to start looking at now. Amazing. Well, I, I look yeah. forward
0: to, to watching the, the journey progress. It's a, it's a great list. I encourage, uh, I encourage the listeners to, to check it out. Because frankly, I look at that list. and So A, I would never have been able to come up with 101 things to do. And B, I wouldn't have been able to come up with a list as good as that. Because I look at that and I'm like, oh man, now I want to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I very much look forward to seeing you well, uh, knock those off.
1: Yeah. I've, I mean, I've been able to do a lot of really cool, dumb things in my life. <laughs> cool and or dumb and uh um but there's so much more that can be done so why not why not try here's
0: to trying to do more things i love it yeah thanks for listening hope you enjoyed the episode if you like this podcast please consider subscribing leaving a review liking it sharing it with your friends or inflicting it on your enemies if you're still listening you're probably the only one who's doing so the secret number is forty two. To claim your no prize, send an email with the secret number in the subject line to Bob at Bobgotamicrophone dot com.